0: Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on One on One with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, One on One showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo.
1: Welcome to one on one with Poppy Chulo. Today is Wednesday, May 13th, 2015. Listeners, please welcome back multiple award winning and nominated Adult Industry Veteran, the twenty fifteen AVN Award winner for male performer of the year, and the twenty fifteen XRCO Award winner for male performer of the year, Mick Blue. Welcome back, man. Hey, how are you guys doing? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm so glad that you could come back and continue the interview. Listeners, if you missed part one, definitely head on over to poppychuloradio.com forward slash archives and check it out because uh, we got into a lot of uh, like the ins and outs of the beginning of Mick's career. So uh, thank you so much for coming back, man.
2: It's a pleasure. And uh, for everybody who didn't hear the first part, Uh, You've got to have to hear it because there were some pretty crazy set stories, as far as I remember. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. So, listeners, definitely check it out and download it. So, uh, Mick, let's jump back into the interview. And... uh, I want to sort of take us into serious territory and talk about some of the serious issues in the industry. And uh, the first thing that I want to talk to you about is uh, piracy. You've been in the industry for 15 years, and you've seen the transition of the industry, at least as far as the various mediums that uh, porn has been on. You know, from DVD to video on demand to scenes just getting downloaded individually and the birth of all these uh, popular websites. My question for you is, as a performer and as someone who directs and produces content, how does piracy affect you
2: uh, it's it's a huge effect on us uh, if you if you compare it uh, from 15 years ago to now uh, the the companies actually make a fraction of, of profit or actually of money they can use to produce content uh, than it than it was before I mean it, 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 it's a huge huge
1: difference
2: uh, even though it actually should be different, because uh, nowadays, when you, when you look around, more people watch porn and stuff like this than ever before. you know just mm-hmm. the industry who should make it doesn't make it anymore everybody:
1: <laughs> In your opinion, what steps do you think the industry has to take to combat piracy?
2: Well it's a, it's a tough question uh, um, to, to answer. Because if the industry would know which kind of steps they would have to take, uh, I'm I'm sure they would have solved the problem already. Um, I think I think uh, the first the first tip the industry can, can take, you know, and, and, and we do that is, is basically call out to every single fan out there and, and tell them that look, you know, the we as as a performer or directors or producers, you know, we really appreciate you being a fan of our content, you know, and, and watch our stuff. Uh, and um, we, we hope that the fans, you know, can be also um as as supportive and and fair enough, you know, to to try to find a way, you know, to pay for the content, at least sign up for the website, you know, or or these and that, you know, if you really like the product and you want to watch it. Because that gives everybody out there the opportunity and the possibility to watch the favorite stars and companies in the future. Because if we won't make any money, we can't produce any more new stuff.
1: What do you think has hurt the industry the most? piracy or the internet, or do you believe both of them are working hand-in-hand?
2: I think the industry got hurt the most from from the torrent and the tube sites uh, because scenes um, from basically every studio um, had been and are being uploaded there to be seen for free, from the con- consumers, which is a great feature for the consumer because they can they can easily watch porn and fulfill uh, their, their needs and their fantasies, but we companies and we performers and and everybody who's in the industry doesn't make a dime on those sides, you know? So it's kind of like I think that has hurt our industry the most, you know? Um, and that have not been here since 10 years ago, and that's why it's a huge difference.
1: Do you think that a lot of people that are going online, they don't necessarily realize that the performers are being hurt by the tube sites? Like, a lot of people that might be listening right now, they might go to the tube sites and they might think, oh, you know, I'm sure, you know, so-and-so, they're getting paid for this, you know, because if they weren't, how oh, is well, this available? Okay.
2: Absolutely. I, I'm 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 totally sure, you know, that the majority of the consumers is not aware of the situation. Um they 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 have probably the wrong input because I've I've heard it even from friends in the past, you know, they compare us with mainstream and they're like, Oh, you know, don't you get the sigils, you know, like like they get the mainstream and stuff like this. No, we don't, you know. It's like if if you see something out there and it's free for you. Um, it's basically nobody makes a dime on it, you know.
1: Something that you mentioned is actually leading me right into my next question because I wanted to talk to you about residuals. Do you feel porn performers should be making some sort of residual payment from the scenes that they've done?
2: Absolutely, especially nowadays with with the internet and the the globalization of of kind of like um, um, porn scenes being distributed and stuff like that. I think we should get uh, residuals, you know, because uh, it's it's no longer um, kind of like a secret genre, you know. It's, it's more um, accessed, uh, it's more accessible for so many more people around the globe, which results in in More people recognizing you in the street, you know. You you go to Starbucks, you go to the bank, you know. You you try to do regular things, and people recognize you. And and I think I think the more the more part of your privacy you lose, you know, the higher would be the demand to change something in the system where performers also get some kind of residuals, you know, and 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 the better higher income for the work and the risk they take.
1: I like that, and I completely agree with you, but my question is, as someone who's been in the game uh, for 15 years and who's been on both sides, the side of the performer as well as working behind the scenes, do you think it would be difficult for the industry to start implementing a residual type of program for performers, or do you think that the work to To do that would be counter productive uh, for the studios. you know, would it be a major loss for the studios and maybe that's why a system like that hasn't been already set up?
2: I think I think uh, the production studios itself, they won't be able to to pay out any residuals, you know because the DVD markets are sold tremendously down and and absolutely not really beneficial anymore uh if you wanna create some sort of residual or something like this it, it it could come only from the internet and uh for that the internet would need to be regulated you know and would need to be made are uh, costly which means for example like I give an example you have you have those tube sites out there you look you you google my name and Let's say pick the top scene you're gonna see there, and then and then you see the number how many times the scene was was viewed on a Tube site. Let's say 1.5 million times, which means, um, let's say at least 300,000 to 500,000 people, different people, let's say, have seen my scene on a Tube site, and. I think with those numbers, you know, you could kind of like if the tube sites wouldn't be free anymore, if the tube sites would be becoming kind of like uh, not high-paid sites, but like just like a like a dollar or three-dollar courtesy, you know, for people to see the content. I think that could be a way, you know, where it's kind of like, okay, you know what? Uh, two performers were in that one scene, which has been seen. million times are, give them a cent per viewer. You understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and like, I'm not speaking about high residuals, you know, but like a cent per viewer, I mean, if if you take 1.5 million times a cent, you know, it, it comes something together in the end, you know? Um, and, and could help the industry too often in the end.
1: Let's talk about DVD sales. Which do you think is the main cause for DVD sales being down? Do you think it's a mixture of piracy and the internet? And I mean the internet as far as to say video on demand, because a lot of people can just you know, go on a video demand website and download a title as opposed... And I'm talking about legally purchasing a title. They can go download the title and not necessarily have to buy the physical DVD. Or do you think it's piracy as far as just people going on the web and downloading the title illegally not purchasing it at all? Or a mixture of both?
2: Yeah, I think the, the reason why DVD sales are going down is the same reason Why in mainstream are the DVD sales are going down. You know, people, people just have, have different opportunities, you know, to watch the content, which means they can go, they can go on the video on demand, you know, mainstream and our industry and watch, watch the movie of their desire, which is still good for our industry because if they, if they watch something on, on the VOD side, uh, they still pay for it, you know, um, um, then of course, it's kind of like watching it on the internet is more secretive. It's kind of like if you if you buy a DVD and you come home to to your house, you and, and you think about it that you have to hide the DVD maybe for uh, from your children or from from your wife because you don't want her to find out that you that you're watching for example Annika Albright in her showcase movie. Um, it, it's it's kinda of hard with the DVD. But if you purchase it on the internet or if you watch it for free on the internet it's it's kind of hard to find if somebody doesn't watch for it you know
1: absolutely man very true moving away from piracy we started off uh, this interview in part one talking about your life prior to the industry so i want to explore that a little bit more and talking about family does your family know about your career in the industry and uh, if so how do they feel about it
2: Oh, they absolutely know about my career. Um, and then, to be said, you know, it, it will be kind of hard to hide after fifteen years doing that for a living. Very um, true.
1: Unless you're really good.
2: <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> even 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 in the beginning, you know, I I I, I ever I always kept it honestly and and with open cards. I think, I believe it's the better way to do any kind of business in life. Um, what did you think about it? The first reaction from my mom and from my dad was basically, hey, isn't it possible that you can do a, a different job? And um, I was like, yeah, you know what, it, it really pays, pays my bill and I have opportunity to make really good money with it. So, nah, I want to stick with it. And they're like, okay, whatever. Um, I'm pretty sure they didn't like it in the beginning, uh, which is normal. But after they saw the success and also that I was able to pay the bills and, and stand on my own fit, feet and uh, live, live pretty good of it, they became supportive and they, and they started to understand that this is actually um, a business um, that can be very beneficial if you do it right.
1: Absolutely, man. Yeah, that's very true and and understandable. And obviously you've been doing the damn thing because you're still in the game 15 years later.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: On top of the game. uh, Multiple award winner. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Let's talk about an issue that certainly affects you uh, and has been affecting you throughout your entire career in the industry, and that is condoms and safe sex and Condoms versus uh, no condoms. So uh, I want to start off this section by just discussing the issue as a whole So a lot of casual porn watchers out there. I'm sure that they see all the condomless sex They don't necessarily realize that the adult industry is heavily tested But regardless of the amount and the consistency of the testing in the industry Do you ever feel worried about catching a STI or worse on set?
2: well every time every time you do a scene uh, or you, or you go to work you you have you have some sort of risk um, that's that's in our in our industry effect but if if you're a race car driver you even though that you have a helmet and a protected car and all this kind of stuff, you are aware of the risk you know that you can get in the car accident so it's kind of like kind of like you choose the job and you know. That you have a risk. Um, Looking at our barometers now, and and the the health standards we have, and the testing standards we have, and the the whole system running, um, I'm feeling very, very safe. Because, as you say, the people out there um, in 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 real life, you know, in the real world, for example, like outside of our industry, they don't really know how our testing pro- procedure works and what we actually do and um, if i'm speaking now about our standards what we have right now in our industry here in america is basically we have to get if you want to work you have to get tested every 14 days so which means the test cannot be older than 14 days um so, um, if if you fulfill that, you have a screen checkered on the on the pass system, uh, which is kind of like our, our security system for for our industry, uh, and you're able to work. Uh, in order to get the screen checkered on the pass system and basically being cleared to work, you need to fulfill uh, a pretty good amount of number of tests. Uh, that that will be run every 14 days, which include um, HIV testing, which is a PCR DNA test which has nowadays uh, a time window from as the doctors say, from seven to ten days, which means if for example, if somebody would get infected um, in a private life or on set or whatsoever, you know uh, with HIV, Within seven to ten days, having it in his body are uh, the test would come up uh, positive and uh, the the industry would be shut down basically um, which is a really really high standard because when you compare it to regular uh, health standards uh, in the United States and also somewhere else in the world you know they' they are still doing. Uh, the LISA test, uh, which has a basically a testing window from I think about three months, uh, because it tests only for antibodies. So, so just on that one, you see that in our industry we have a huge difference to to the regular population. Then besides HIV, we are testing also for hepatitis C with a with a similar accurate test, you know, which has a window probably also between 10 to 14 days. Then we also test for chlamydia. It's also a DNA test, which shows uh, shows it up really, really fast. Uh, gonorrhea, uh, treptomania, or how you call it? Trichomania, uh, which is kind of like a... Um, um, it detects our certain bacteria. And then, uh, last but not least, uh, we, we do the syphilis capture test, which is also like um, a more accurate test than the, than the RPR syphilis test that is normally used in, in for, the, for the regular population out there. And all those tests are done every 14 days. Mm-hmm.
1: Very interesting, very eloquent answer. And shout out to Annika Albright for helping out with the the fancy words.
3: <laughs>
1: my, she's my lap gig. There you go. She's your Siri. <laughs> my what? She's your Siri. If you if you mix blue, you have you have Annika Albright as Siri in the car. Exactly, <laughs> and in the flesh, which makes it even better. Exactly. (laughs) Good stuff, man. Okay, so. After that eloquent answer, I'm looking forward to your answer to this. Uh, It's time for the great condom debate. The issue of condoms in the industry has been all over, not just the adult industry press, but as well as the mainstream entertainment press, in particular because of Measure B, also known as the County of Los Angeles Safer, Sexy, and Adult Film Industry Act, and all of the hoopla that happened with that. And then after that, there was that Assembly Bill 1576, which didn't really... End up doing anything, or end up passing, or anything like that. But the issue of condoms has been all over the place. So, what's your opinion on whether condoms should or should not be used in adult productions?
2: I think I think it's not a question uh, if they should be used or should not be used. I think I think the the debate should be that it should be uh, a choice, the choice of the performers, you know, so that. So that they can that they can stay within their comfort, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's interesting that you brought it up because last year there was the debate, our uh, AB one five seven six, as you said. Um, Erica and I, we were, are uh, in Sacramento for that, um, to 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 speak in front of the Senate, um, and um, I'm. Basically, I also, I said already there. I was, I was uh, against uh, this this measure because uh, what what the state tried to do with that was basically uh, saying what we performers have to do. You know, uh, basically taking taking away our our own decision. And I think we we live we live in America, and America is a free land, and it, it always is being marketed as as a free speech, you know, and a free the land of the of your own choices and all this kind of stuff, you know. And that's why I think, you know, it should it should stay like that. You know? Um it should be like this that performers have the power to decide either if they do want to use it on them and they don't. And then, and for example, you have companies like King uh, in San Francisco, as we speak, you know, where it's basically, it's like, if you, if you go there to work and you want to use a condom, go, go there and feel free, use a condom, you know? If you don't want to use a condom, then don't use a condom, and I think that's the right way to go, you know?
1: As a performer that's been working, obviously, since Measure B has been in effect, honestly speaking... How has Measure B affected you in your scene works? Has it affected you at all?
2: Um, as of now, it hasn't affected me at all. Um, we are we are basically still focusing focusing on our on our own work, and um, let's see what's going to happen in the future. I am I really hope you know that that. Uh, this whole hassle, you know, is basically where um, Weinstein tries to find any kind of reason, you know, to fight our industry and stuff like this, you know, and, and maybe um, uses our fight to cover up all these other debates, you know, where they where basically get uh, paybacks from, from other institutions and stuff like that um, uh, to cover that up. I think I think they should focus on the on the real things in life. You know, let the let the government focus focus on that. For example, our, instead of trying to tell us what we have to do in scenes, have the government find a way to make, for example, free porn or free nudity or any kind of nudity or porn on the internet make it child safe. How about that? You know, how about finding Finding a way that that uh, kids who run around nowadays with a smartphone, you know, uh, and and figure out how internet works, you know, uh, googling, um, for example, uh, I don't know, cake butter, and then and then they're gonna see butts, you know, because uh, it's it's a common word for but as well, cake butter, you know what I mean? How how about finding a way to prohibit that, you know, or like. Yeah, um, I think that would make much more sense.
1: I've noticed that within the past year, maybe within the past year and a half, there have been some production companies that have been slowly been moving their content shoots to Las Vegas. And there have even been some of the major agencies in the industry that have been opening satellite offices in Vegas as well. Is that something that has been happening because of Measure B and all of these condom uh, uh, bills or whatnot that are trying to be passed, or is that has that been just like a natural progression as uh, Las Vegas being sort of like another hub for uh, porn content shoots?
2: I think it, it definitely had to do with those kind of things, uh, because um, before before all those all those Uh, like Measure B and stuff like that came up Uh, companies usually avoided Vegas and then after those kind of things came up um, as you say um, a lot of companies went over there and and guess what you know what happens if companies move to a new state are people who worked for those companies before they lose their jobs you know it's kind of like kind of like that's another thing what, what the politicians didn't realize you you're trying to to get an industry shut down in California, which are uh, employs it's millions of people. Um, and what what's gonna happen? The companies, yeah, they're maybe gonna move to Vegas or they're maybe gonna move move to, to the West Coast, you know, or maybe even to Europe. But what happened to all those people who worked in California, whose lives? and families were dependent on the job, what's going to happen to them? They they are out of job. And do you think that it's going to be easy for them to get a new job, you know, at at a regular store for that what they did before? No. And how how the government going to fix that then? Besides the millions of dollars they're going to use in tax money. Just saying.
1: That's very true, man. Very true. I don't think a lot of people think about it like that. Let's talk about porn moratoriums. You've obviously been through a couple of them, because there there have been some within the past couple of years in the industry. For those out there that are tuning in that don't know what a moratorium is, basically it's whenever a person in the industry, we'll call them patient X, is uh, tested and, and is found to be positive for HIV, then the industry shuts down, and basically they go through All the performers that either worked with this patient X you know will call those are like the first-generation performers and then they also go around and test retest the people that uh, worked with the people that worked with patient X second generation performers and whatnot and then once you know they've sort of you know, figured out who it is and have retested everyone, then the industry goes back into production. And on occasion, this could take uh, a couple of days. Sometimes it could take even longer. So can you share with the listeners how porn moratoriums affect you as a performer and as someone who also directs and produces content in the industry?
2: All right. uh, it's, It's actually really good that we're going to talk about this because there is, there is uh, in mainstream media and, and for the people out there um, I think it's really important to understand what it exactly is. Um, I would say about a year ago um, we, we kind of like we formed, we formed um, a past advisory council where we are like a few performers in that council a few producers and also, like a few doctors, like the doctors from our testing facilities, and also uh, somebody who runs the pass system. Um, and we created we, we created a, a protocol, um, which will be used for for moratoriums, for example. And in this protocol, we agreed to the following: if, for example. Somebody somebody goes to get tested, and the HIV test comes back positive. I give an example. So, for example, Humpty Dumpty goes to get tested on Wednesday. On mm-hmm. um,
1: can Thursday I just say best uh, poor name ever, Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty, exactly. Yes.
2: Um, if somebody want to steal it for the teacher, go ahead. You know. <laughs> uh, if you ever win an award with that name, I want to be the person to give it to you.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Shout out to the next Humpty Dumpty in porn. No, but well, that was a silly as uh, silly aside. But let's get back to talking about a serious issue.
2: Let's let's go back to serious. So Humpty Dumpty tests on Wednesday. Uh, we have a testing turnover within 24 hours, which means the test gonna come back on Thursday. Um, sadly positive on HIV. But that does not mean that the test or that hamdi Dante is positive on HIV. Because in order to really, really say that hamdi Dante is positive on HIV, they need to make a confirmation test. So what would happen is, if the test comes back on Thursday, hamdi Dante would need to come in again, they would draw his blood again and they would run another test. So now, with the new protocol, what we have, um, we agreed to that, that if any performer comes back positive with the first HIV test, with the HIV test, we create immediately a production hold. But that's not in a motorium, because the production hold is only there basically to see if it was a real positive test or if it was a false positive test. Mm-hmm. Because with that kind of test, what we do, uh, the chances are actually uh, pretty high uh, that there can be a false positive test. You know, and uh, because the tests are so sensitive. So that's why, that's why we said, you know what, instead of how it was before, where they would say okay we're gonna call the moratorium as soon as the person is confirmed. We thought as performers it would be much safer in our industry to call in immediate production hold, start to working immediately on a on a on a um, on a list of performers this person had contact with just out of precautions and then wait till the test result is confirmed or not. For example, the last production hold we had, or the last two production holds we had, we had things called the false positive. Um, but for example, in this situation, now let's say that after two days, um, or three days, comes the test, sadly, comes confirmed back as a positive HIV test. In this case, no matter what, is going to be changed into a moratorium which going to last at least 14 days. The reason why it would last at least 14 days from the day one, the first result came back from Humpty Dumpty, is because we have the incubation time of HV from 7 to 10 days and we just want to be extra precautious. In these 14 days, no production would shoot any kind of scene whatsoever that would involve any interaction between two performers that could cause any kind of risk to their health. And that's pretty much it. And then after 14 days, if everybody comes back negative, who was in contact with with the patient zero, uh, and nobody else from the industry comes back with a positive test when they retest, uh, we start to work as usual, because it's medically, from the medical standpoint,
1: uh, safe to do so. I like that. I think that's the best and the most safest way to do it.
2: Exactly. There's, what people don't understand, you know, um, we do want to have the highest safety standard for performance out there. And that's why, that's why I also wanted to be uh, on this health uh, system council because uh, I am very very interested in my own health and also, of course, the interest, you in know, in everybody else participating in our industry
1: currently if a performer works during a moratorium is there some sort of uh, ramification for a performer is there a fine if not should performers be fined if they work during a moratorium um you know here here's the thing
2: our industry it's it's kind of like sometimes there are, there are rivalries, you know, and, and everything going on, and one company fights the other company and this and that, like it like it is in, in, in the regular business world. But if it comes down if it comes down to to a moratorium, um, I would say that that uh, as far as I know, everybody is holding the moratorium, and everybody is very serious about the situation, and and would not work.
1: We're about to get away from like sexually transmitted stuff and and condoms and that kind of thing. But uh, to wrap this up, I'm sure a lot of people that are tuning in right now might be curious to know, especially since you are a veteran in the game, how many times have you caught something on set? And obviously, it was something treatable because you're still working on set. You know, like when I think when I think back, the the honest times, the honest times
2: where. I actually caught something that um, was more in Europe mm-hmm. uh, many, many years ago because when I started in the industry, the only tests we did to work in the industry was strict out on the ELISA test. There was no testing for chlamydia, for gonorrhea and stuff like that and this and that, you know, and, and uh, I mean, o- over the years, the, the industry evolved, you know. And so it's kind of like, like I think, I think back in the days, you know, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I called a few times, something, uh, but but that was was in Europe. But I would say, overall, maybe four or five times, uh,
1: minor things, and that's about it. And that's not bad considering the length that you've been in the industry and the amount of scenes that you've done. I think a lot of people, when they hear about things going on in the industry, unfortunately, it's only when it's a moratorium and it's something extremely serious like HIV. And so they start assuming that, you know, this must happen all the time when it really doesn't.
2: Exactly, that's what, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's kind of like, like uh, for, for when you, when you look at in our industry, All those kind of things that happen are actually really minor things. Um, Like catching STDs and stuff like this. We we are getting tested so many times that it's really, really hard for an STD to really stick in there. And if an STD, like for example, if gonorrhea is going around or if chlamydia is going around, uh, it's really only going around because people have sex uh, with people outside of the industry. Because... Because when you look when you look uh, into into statistics, medical statistics, you know, um, throughout throughout the world, um, inf- infections like chlamydia are um, are kind of like uh, um, the highest transmitted uh, disease in the in the regular population, uh, in in the in the Western population, and the reason why. Uh, it's so far spread out and um, untreated is because it's um, it doesn't really show any symptoms for for the people out there unless they get tested, you know. And and so it's it's kind of like it's kind of like a really really scary thing. But like I believe and and I do want to say uh, that our industry is much safer. Well, regarding entities than anything uh, out there in the regular world.
1: So moving away from HIV, condoms, STIs, right now I want to discuss a uh, niche genre that has been thriving in the industry. It's something that started... I would say a couple of years ago, and now it's become one of the most popular genres in the industry right now, and that's the stepfather, stepbrother, stepsister, stepmother genre. I like to call it, to be quite honest, incest light, because that's kind of like what it is. It's, you know. Doing it with a family-ish member, you know, it's not necessarily blood-related family member, but for some reason, it's taken over the industry, and there are a lot of titles, a lot of uh, productions that uh, sort of take on this genre, and I'm kind of curious to ask, Mm -hmm. since you are a performer... What was it like the first time that you had to take on a production with this theme? You know, was it kind of weird? You know, was it kind of funny? Like, what was it like taking on a production that has a sort of ancestral vibe to it?
2: All right. First of all, um, I don't, I don't take on any any jobs uh, relating uh, stepfather, stepdaughter, or any kind of stuff like this. Uh, because I I highly uh, dislike that, a lot, and I think it is extremely it's extremely terrible and 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 bad that situations like this are out there on a daily basis, where where stepfathers, you know, are get their hands on, on their stepdaughters and stuff like this in real life. And, and I think and the last thing I want to do is support that. Um, another thing I want to say to this is, um, and, I, and I'm just going to give you a question now, maybe you can answer that and then I will answer it as well. Um, you bring up this, this genre. The reason why you bring up the genre is, is this, because a lot of companies produce it right now. Why do you think a lot of companies are producing this kind of stuff right now?
1: Honestly, I probably couldn't give you a good answer for it. I probably have my own assumptions. I would assume that some production company out there tested out a title with the theme. It probably sold well, and so the consumers... There, there's an audience for everything in the industry, and so I'm assuming the consumers responded well to it, then the production company came out with a part two, a third installment, and et cetera, et cetera, and then they started to branch out and do different themes, you know, maybe make an interracial version with the same genre and whatnot, and then other companies sort of started to see that, you know, this production company A was doing this, it was going well for them, so production company B starts doing it, and that's, I would assume, how uh, it caught exactly. on. Exactly.
2: Exactly. The reason why companies are producing that is because it sells. Because people buy it a lot. Because companies, companies, they are like, oh my god, we're gonna do something like this. Uh, we make a lot of money with that. Why? Next question. Why do you think? Why do you think? Uh, People who watch porn, buy stuff. Why they buy niche?
1: I would say sometimes for the shock value. Sometimes because it's something that they fantasize about, but they don't necessarily want to go out and do it. Exactly.
2: Fantasize. Fantasize, shock value, and all this kind of stuff. And there, there we come exactly to the point. And that was the reason why I was asking him. because if I would have answered it, you know, they would have said, like, yeah, just says it. But you are a regular person out there, you know, who is basically uh, um, interested in the industry and try to find out more about it. And you gave me exactly the right answers. The reason, the reason why companies sell so much is, is because people fantasize about it people are, have a shock it, and that's the reason why I don't want to have anything to do with it because it's really really sad to see that it seems like that in this world people fantasize as in having sex with their stepdaughter and that's really really
1: bad yeah I mean some of the themes in productions in general and, are and kind and of and insane and I always wonder who, who purchased this stuff I'm i I'm telling you like
2: like uh, the majority you know and it's it's, it's really, really bad to see uh, how how the, the human nature you know and uh, or how humanity is changing, you know it's, and that's that's another thing you know stop bugging around you know about uh, our condoms on fat or not condoms on fat. Our, our step up, you know, and do something about the whole incest thing and stuff like that. Because we need we need to protect our our our, our child, you know, our our kids and and don't
1: mess up their, their heads, you know, with all this other kinda of stuff. I like that answer. Are there any misconceptions or myths about porn performers that you would like to dispel?
2: Um, yeah, I can say something. It's, it's basically yes, we we are porn performers or adult performers, however I call it, and we do have sex for a living on certain stuff like this. But uh, this doesn't this doesn't mean that we are tasteless people. You know what I mean? We we do have a regular life. Sometimes I would even say like even more regular life than that the normal people out there because we have so much uh, to do with sex on a daily base that that we kind of like, I would say, in our private life are more chill than others. Um, and, and when you look sometimes on social media, Twitter, Instagram, or even Facebook, you know what? Some of those fans, you know, are extremely tasteless in the way, especially to girls, what I see out there, are how, how disrespectful the right to them and, and try to treat them as whores and, and worthless human beings. And and I just think, like, dude, you know, are those ones have as much class, you know, than, than the girl working at... As uh, Peter Barn, you know, or Ross, or Bones or wherever, um, and and they should also be treated with the same respect.
1: Another great answer from Mick Blue. Mick Blue's been bringing it with the answers tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Is there an aspect of the adult industry that you do not enjoy? Hmm.
2: Um, As of now, I I enjoy the industry. Uh, I think that's why I made it also 15 years in it, and I am where I am.
1: Moving away from the serious questions, but still sort of, I guess, on the same serious tip but not as serious as some of the issues that we've been discussing. Let's talk about romance in the industry. I interviewed this young woman by the name of Annika Albright, I'm sure you've heard of her. Who is that? (laughs) Exactly. Is she a new starlet
2: or something like this? Maybe I should put her on my bucket list to work with her.
1: You should, I heard that she's uh, got triple crowns and that kind of thing. Oh my
2: God. For sure, she's a big diva now.
1: <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> For those out there that have been living under a rock, Anna Albright is Mick Blue's beautiful wife. Uh, so I had the chance to interview her. She's been on the station, and we discussed. Uh, romance and you and how you two met so for those out there that didn't get a chance to listen to Annika's interview certainly head on over poppychularadio.com forward slash archives download that one as well while you're downloading Blue part 1 so can you from your perspective give us your meeting story your first meetup how did you two meet was it love at first sight was it lust at first sight what happened, uh, and how did uh, this romance develop?
2: It was it was basically basically like uh, the first time we met was on a plane to San Francisco, and uh, I was I was actually working for King that day, and, and I, I found out afterwards that she was working for King as well, and uh, she she was entering the plane uh, with Red pens Blue jeans, a black leather jacket, and some kind of t-shirt, and I was like, I could bet my head, you know, that that this girl might gonna sitting with me, uh, in the in the pickup truck, or uh, to to probably King Studio because because I I like like I kind of like. For, for some time when I was traveling, I, I had a game, you know, where I kind of like I tried to figure out which girl would be working as well in the same town uh, as as I am all the day. And uh, so we didn't talk in the plane, but she caught my eye uh, with her blonde hair and with her red pants. And then uh, we, surely enough, uh, a few minutes later, um, I saw her at the pickup station and, and the driver from King uh, picked us up and two more girls. And uh, on the drive over there, I just briefly started to talk to her. Uh, the reason why we talked only briefly was because at that time I was in a, in a relationship uh, with somebody else and I am very, very uh, kind of like uh, monogam and okay. respectful. Monogamous and respectful are in in relationships. So I I keep it very much uh, business as usual. You know, if I talk to colleagues, and so so that was the first meeting point. Then after over the time, we worked a few times together. We we had great scenes, uh, but as I said, I was still in relationship and and. Be basically, there was nothing more going on than work partners, and then uh, in the year two thousand and twelve, I split up with my old relationship, and I became a singer, and we worked together again. It was for William H. It was uh, for the, and so so it's kind of like we how can I say it It we were both kind of free and it started to spark a little bit we had we had a phenomenal scene together and we started talking a little bit uh, but we we didn't start dating yet because I think we were both kind of shy and stuff like that and then um, a month went by again and avN 2013 came around and uh, yeah it was kind of like... Like I was on the on the on the floor of the AE, and I just talked to Manuel, and then uh, Annika was basically just like walking towards us. I think it was because she wanted to say hi to Manuel, and then I turned around and uh, I saw her, and I say, "Hey, Annika!" and she's like, "Oh, Mick!" and out of nowhere, we just started kissing. It was really bizarre, you know, like. We, we couldn't really say more and we just started kissing and then she said like, hey, uh, is your girlfriend okay with uh, that that you kiss me right now? I was like, well, you know, I'm single, I'm not with a girl anymore, you know, and then we just kept going uh, and it was like a really, really long kiss and all over the face. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, but but it's funny. But you know, here's the thing. The interesting thing is, you know, even though that it really clicked uh, between us at the AEE in 2013, we haven't we haven't had sex like penetrating sex till after ABM. Um and, and it was was a very special thing. It was, it was kind of like we we enjoyed it so much just to kiss each other and to to pleasure us morally. I think mm-hmm. that uh, we 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 we
1: we we, we, tre-
2: we we kind of like we we took it slow, you know, <laughs> uh, which is kind of bizarre for porn stars, I know. But uh, yeah, it was just
1: like different. And then
2: from there, we were on for the run.
1: That's what's up. I find it interesting how per your version the kissing sort of happened out of nowhere. it was very spontaneous and uh, you don't know what happened and for Annika, she in her version she clearly remembers that you kissed her and it surprised her
2: <laughs> well it's it's yeah, I mean here, the thing <laughs> is, you know, it's like somebody need to be the initiator, but it oh, was okay. kind of like, it was kind of like you need two imagine, magnets like, who, drawn no. to each other. Two People, two people, and like, like for example, yeah, magnets. They they come closer and closer and closer, and for some reason, we didn't have enough distance to each other. So it's kind of like when I tried to bring out the second word my mouth just got sucked to hers
3: oh, like okay. a magnet
2: Then they are there too close to each other and then and then we just didn't really talk for a few seconds <laughs> we had something
1: better to do exactly how difficult was it dating in the industry when you two were just dating uh, as you know, performers, two performers working in the industry, obviously doing scenes with other people. Maybe sometimes doing scenes with friends. You know, you might be doing scenes with friends of Annika. She might be doing scenes with friends of yours. I guess what I'm trying to get at is uh, being in a relationship in the industry. What are some of the traits that a couple should have to make a successful relationship in the industry?
2: I think the traits are are the same um, um, for every relationship. You know, you need to you need to build the relationship on the on the on the on the right ground with the with the right walls. You know, and and the, give you the right time to grow. You know, uh, build up build up the trust and the respect to each other for for its all time, and and love each other, and. In this case, I think it doesn't matter in which industry you are, if you are in the adult industry or if you are in a in a banking industry or whatsoever, uh, the, the the recipe for a functioning relationship is always the same. Um what makes our industry a little bit different is this that we do have sex with other people, but that's what we. That's what we do for a living, you know. And um, believe it or not, you know, we do. We do enjoy to work with other people on sets, especially if we can enjoy them together. You know, <laughs> like like I. I really uh, enjoy. Um, seeing Annika happy, you know, when, for example, if she if she gets pleasured by a girl, you know, or if we both team up on a girl. Or I really enjoyed the moments, you know, uh, Annika and I we were able to share together when we shot her first DP ever for Annika too, which which was an award-winning scene uh, at this year's ABN Awards. It's like mm-hmm. It's like those moments, you know, you have together, you create together, are uh, that make a relationship stronger and longer lasting.
1: Let's travel back in time. How and when did you lose your virginity? When I was 40 years old. I'm still a virgin. <laughs> So everything that we see is CGI. No, I'm a Virgo. Okay. <laughs> I'm
2: I'm a Virgo and and when you when you look in Austria and uh, the, the the sign that I'm born in, we call it a virgin. So technically I'm still a virgin. I never lost it. Well there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, <laughs> not to serious. The I know I was 16 years old. I was six. I was 16 years old, and uh, it was really, it was really um, kind of like not the best way to lose the virginity because um, it was, it was kind of like. I don't know how to say this in English, so I, so I don't explain the whole details, but it was basically, we had a party going on and uh, the girls' rooms were separated from the guys' rooms because we were on some kind of a camp
3: mm-hmm.
2: and we were all drinking. And I I made an appointment with a girl who was older than myself, uh, I was 16, she was 18, and uh, I made an appointment to come to her room and everybody sleeps. So. I was waiting till four o'clock in the morning till everybody was asleep, almost fall down the stairs because I was still (laughs) drunk and made it into her room. Once I opened the door, I hear the girl's name call my name and I thought it's her. So I went to the bed where where the voice came from. Sure enough, I found out it was the wrong girl. <laughs> she then told me where the, where the right girl is lying, so I called in the bed of the right girl. Then, of course, she didn't expect it, but she was still happy that I was there, so we get our thing going on, and I was a very, uh, how can I say, um, Siri, help me. Uh,
1: <laughs> not respectful gentlemanly
2: no not gentlemanly
1: no i uh, fucking english
2: um Gentle. basically i tried to find a fucking condom
1: oh okay honorable
2: you know, like uh, responsible Yeah. there you go here responsible responsible okay <laughs> so i was a very responsible i tried to be a very responsible person and i tried to get a fucking condom on my on my penis it was dark and i was still a little bit drunk so, I tried like a madman, you know, for five minutes, I think, to get a fucking condom on my penis. It didn't happen, right? So, we decided okay, fuck it. We just do it without condom. I put it in. I had, I think, my four or five pumps on the go. And I was like, oh my God, that feels amazing. I'm finally having sex and I can enjoy a vagina. And I was waiting for it at least the last four years. What do you <laughs> think happens?
1: The teacher, the
2: camp teacher teacher opens the fucking door and starts kind of like screaming, what is this sound? I'm hiding under the blanket, you know, um, hoping that I'm not going to get catched. War is almost ready to pop, you know, it's like, like... Dude, the cum was already in my balls. You know, I think, I think I had already a little bit pre-cum coming out of my penis, you know. <laughs> and then the fucking teacher came in. And then finally when he left, of course I wanted to keep going. But, of course, what happened is the girl she didn't want anymore. So she sent me back up to my room with blue balls. And I was like, dude, fucking A. You know, it's like the first time in my life I had a chance to have a vagina and I couldn't finish. And that wow. was the day when I lost the
1: virginity. But, like, technically, I didn't completely lose the virginity. <laughs> Correct. You didn't complete the action. Yeah, but it gets
2: worse. Because then after, we didn't we didn't have sex anymore. It's it kind of like we didn't... That, that was the one thing, you know. It was total cock block. And it took about a, a month and a half uh, that she ran across my way again. And a month and a half later, we finally started having sex. Like for real. And that's where I lost my virginity, with her, which was great. And I, and like we went like maniacs, you know, it's like, dude, like having sex like every fucking day, all day and stuff like this. But guess what happens?
1: Tell me, I'm after on, I'm on pins dating, and needles.
2: After we were dating for two months, my pee hole started burning. Oh. And I, and I was like, oh, it's going to go away, you know. As I go to my mom, because it didn't go away. My mom says, like, oh, let's go to the doctor. So they go to the doctor, and, the, and then I'm sitting there with my mom. And the doctor comes in and says, like, Mrs. So-and-so, can I talk to you for a second? You know, and so my mom goes with the doctor and, says, know, and the doctor basically talks to my mom. And then my mom comes back to me and she's like, Well, son, I just talked to the doctor. And, uh, well, you you got to have to take some antibiotics and stuff like this because most likely you have some sort of STD called gonorrhea. So there we come back again to, to the point I said already half an hour ago. Uh, I think our industry with all the testing we have going on and stuff like this is much safer than the rest of the world out there where no testing is going on
1: because basically we have the first tax partner I ever had in my life. I caught gonorrhea. Yeah. And you had to get the news in front of your mom, which I'm sure was uh, a highlight of your day.
2: Dude, it was so embarrassing. Oh my God. If I would have known what gonorrhea is,
1: I would have tried to get
2: antibiotics myself. But how, how do you know? You know, I mean, it's like 16 years. I had no fucking idea that there's something like STDs even exists.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, that's quite the story, Mick Blue. <laughs> Good grief, man. <laughs> so let's move into some questions that I'm sure your fans are curious to know. These are questions all about Mick Blue. How often do you work out and do you consistently have to watch what you eat in particular when you know that a scene's coming up?
2: Yes. You need to, you need to treat your life like you're an athlete because that's what we are it's uh you 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 need to you need to work out you need to you need to watch what you eat and you need a healthy life you need to have a healthy life standard if you want to achieve uh um in like how can i say high quality product and and being able to do it in ten teams do I work out i think sex at work is pretty much workout um, and besides, besides that I also do, uh, if I have time, Brazilian jiu jitsu, And then uh, most of the time I have a round tour with Annika at night, which is basically the, the post-workout to round up
1: the day. There you go. Some uh, nude yoga. Some nude interactive yoga. Exactly. Yes. To shave or not to shave—that is the question. And yes, I'm talking about down there and just in general manscaping.
2: You know, I think I think guys should shave the balls, but uh, but keep keep the hair. The rest of the hair, maybe maybe trim it. But if you shave it, you hurt the kid of the vagina. Of the girl.
1: In your opinion, what part of your body is the sexiest and why?
2: You know what? That's something you would have to ask
1: Anika. Anika, would you like to answer the question? Or you can ask Siri. <laughs>
2: Let's ask, let's ask Siri. Siri, what is the sexiest um, part of Mick Blue's body? Every goddamn thing. Well, there you go. I'm surprised folks. that Siri answered that because I tried to ask Siri before and she told me this is an inappropriate answer, or I cannot find any answer of that on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we got lucky today.
1: McBlue uh, stand up his stand up comedy tour will be taking place this summer. Check uh, Twitter to find out the locations. <laughs> exactly. Now let's do the flip side of that question. In your opinion, what part of your body do you like the least, and why?
2: That's a hard question. I, I kind of like. I'm very, I'm very in sync with my body. Um, sometimes, sometimes they in my ears, but I, I kind of like, I can wink my ears. So I, I really like them, you know, so it's, I don't know. Um, I think, I think, I think I'm happy with myself.
1: I like the sound of that. It's good when uh, one is happy and content with themselves. Yeah. Now, on the complete flip side, in your opinion, what part of the female body is the sexiest, and why?
2: It depends on the female.
1: It's uh, it's 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 kind of like
2: uh, I think it it always matters. Our uh, the the proportions together and, and, and the complete picture for me. Uh, when we speak when we speak about Annika, everything on Annika is what I like and what I love. That's the that's the, that's the right answer. Merit, you know, so it's really kind of like I can tell you what I don't like or what I very much dislike are, uh, for example, duck lips. I don't like the duck lips. It reminds me always of floating boats from Greenpeace.
1: And it looks so unnatural and looks painful if girls have that. Well, there you go. So, ladies with duck lips, when Mick Blue enters the yeah, room, it, turn your head away. Are you okay, McBlue?
2: No, I'm I'm very okay. It's, it's yes. just right now it's really like this, you know, like I know I know so many girls who progressively getting the lips bigger and I've known them before and I've known them after and it's really just sad to see how they progress because they think they think that all those guys they want to have those they love those big lips, you know, these big, puffy lips and stuff like that, you know? And they think it's so fucking great. But I think... I think... If it's a little bit, it's okay, you know? But if it goes overboard, it's, it's just a distortion for the face, you know?
1: That's very true.
2: And you know what was even more shocking is that even Mickey Rook did it. Like, dude, yeah. I mean... He had no reason to fucking do that to his face, you know, like, lips, seriously, but uh, I mean, everybody's own, you know? He's still one of the greatest actors out there,
1: and I admire him. There are a lot of Donald Duck and Daffy Duck fans out there. They're just trying to, you know, bring a little Donald Duck into their life.
2: Well, I just always say it's like they're a contract star from Greenpeace, floating boats.
1: Yes. Tell me something quirky about yourself that most people don't know. Some peop- some something unique about Mick Blue uh, besides that you're a natural I have, comedian.
2: I have sex with girls in Bavarian and lederhosen and get paid for it. Well, there you go. <laughs> and the people that can even watch it on uh, www.markmafilm.com. And if I ever gonna have a website, I'm gonna put both
1: things on the website as well. Get your later hosen on. That's what's up. Describe. It's the best ever. It's the best ever.
2: You have you have basically uh, a front flip. You can just flip it down, and the penis comes out.
1: There you go. Comfort yeah. and accessibility. Absolutely. <laughs> Describe yourself in 10 words or less. Oh
2: boy. Uh, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, Humorous. Honest. Reliable. Um
1: professional, loving, and stubborn. As we start wrapping things up, I do have this list of uh, five questions that are designed to allow uh, your fans and supporters to get to know you even more. These are a, a group of uh, pop culture oriented questions. The first one is, okay. what are five of your most favorite television shows?
2: Uh, Dexter, then uh, the originals, then uh, what else did I really, 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 really like? I really like Vampire Diaries as well. That was pretty cool. Still going on though then uh i enjoyed the show uh house of cards and blacklist is really cool too
1: who are four of your all-time favorite music artists
2: <sighs> i gotta have two name queen Then uh, the Beatles. Then uh, who else From there? Oh you caught you caught me off off guard. Old time favorites. I had a time where I really like Roses. YouTube. YouTube, uh, 2 And then,
1: uh, Madonna. Madonna was great. What are three of your most favorite films?
2: Um, Pulp Fiction. Then, um, What was the other one? I forgot. Um, Man... Woody Harris was was playing in it. Uh, Natural Born Killers, Pulp Fiction, Natural Born Killers, and... uh, What was the third one?
1: What are two foods you can't live without? <sighs>
2: Apple strudel
1: and the And what is one of your guilty pleasures? annika's cake. I don't know if that's a euphemism. <laughs>
2: what do you mean on the on the guilty
1: pleasure? <laughs> well, no, I mean that could be it. Are you talking about uh, Annika's body, or does she actually make a cake that you enjoy?
2: <laughs> no, I like I like I like to eat Annika's cake, which could be her body. <laughs> But it could be also served on her body.
1: Oh, okay, there you go. Keep the mystery alive for the listeners.
2: No, but like like uh, like like well, okay, like apple strudel, apple strudel would 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 count into into the dessert. You were asking me for dessert, right?
1: Well no, this is just a guilty pleasure. You know, just a, a life. Guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure in life. Oh yeah, yeah. And it all my guilty pleasure I have. Well, there you go. The last time that we had you on for part one of the interview, we talked a lot about your career in general and your longevity in the industry. As a follow-up to that, as we start wrapping things up in this interview, or I should say, as we continue to, you know, on the road to wrapping things up is, do you ever see yourself retiring as a performer? Do you feel like you have a shelf life? Is there an expiration date where you see yourself ending your career as a performer and maybe focusing just on behind the scenes or even leave, leaving the industry in total?
2: I would say you never know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, I'm still in the industry and I'm going to keep doing it as long as I have fun with it. Um, how, long, how long I will be doing it, I don't know. Uh, as I said, you, you can never really look in, into the future, you can plan for it, but you can't—you can't pre-create it.
1: What's next for McBlue? What can the listeners and your fans expect from you in the near future, in the coming weeks, in the coming months? Well,
2: I'm—I'm I'm planning on my own production. So, so if—if—if if, if, if my own production are gonna gonna be aired. If it, it's going to be and stuff like this, it's, it's going to be promoted uh, over the social media network and everywhere where you see Nick Blue. So, if uh, ever, go out and, and, and buy it and give me the possibility to produce after more stuff for you guys uh, with, with the money that comes in with the product.
1: And, of course, how can your fans reach you? Where can they find you on the web, social media, all of the goodies? Uh, they can find me
2: on, on Twitter and Instagram. Those are the two social medias I I look on a daily basis. Um, the names on both are basically are at NickBlueXXX. And, yeah, it's like uh, that's where I'm at and that's where people can communicate with me.
1: Well, Mick, this does bring us to the end of our two-part interview. Is there anything that you would like to say to your fans and supporters that are tuning in right now? I've...
2: What I wanted to say is that I'm extremely thankful to, to all my fans out there who were a huge part in it to keep me for that many years in the industry and also can we reach all those goals uh, I achieved over those many years. And uh, stay there. <laughs> Keep supporting our industry the way how you do it.
1: Well, I certainly want to once again thank you so much for coming back and doing a second part to this interview, Mick. Thank you so much for doing this two-part interview here on the station.
2: You're welcome. I had fun and uh thank you again too
1: thank you so much man and certainly like i told you before and as i told Annika in her interview the doors open for more whenever you want to come back to promote anything feel free to let me know and uh, we'll have you as well as Annika on the station for brand new interviews awesome thank you so much you're welcome. And listeners, I also want to thank you so much for tuning into One on One with Papi Chulo. Tune in for brand new episodes of One on One with Poppy Chulo every Wednesday and Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. You can download this episode and many more by visiting popichuloradio.com forward slash archives. Registered users will gain access to the Poppy Chulo Radio archives of previously aired broadcasts. And with that, Mick Blue and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners.
2: I wish you all, guys, uh, a great night. And have fun with whatever you do. (laughs) Let's go!
0: Thanks for listening to One on One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com or leave us a voicemail at 305 515 8620. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash radio, And like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash radio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week.